Jesus changed all of human history as the Son of God who lived a radical life of obedience to the Father and died on the cross to pay for sin and he rose again on the third day victorious over death. The followers of Jesus gathered in a little room in Jerusalem. As the Spirit of God filled them, they shared the good news that Jesus was the Son of God and he had risen again and was creating a new humanity. Pilgrims from Rome heard this message and believed. And then they returned to Rome and they started a church. This small multi-ethnic group of followers of Jesus lived in the most powerful grand city in the world. They were divided and persecuted on every side. They felt small and wondered if their faith in Jesus would sustain them and give them the power to share their faith in such an environment. Jesus called the Apostle Paul and sent him to share the message of Jesus. Paul wrote a letter to encourage this small group of believers in Rome. He wanted them to know that God was with them and had given them the power they needed to live out their faith and share the good news with others. He told them that he was not ashamed of this good news of Jesus because it had power to bring salvation. He wanted them to know that they did not need to be ashamed either and that God would use them to impact the city of Rome. This good news encourages us and empowers us to live boldly and unashamed of the good news of Jesus. Good morning. It's great to be together this morning. So after Easter, we're going to dive into the book of Romans uh, together. I, one of the first church plants I was part of, we got to preach through the book of Romans and it had a huge impact on my life. Like maybe some of you have experienced when you teach or, or lead something, it, it changes you. And uh, that happened to me. And, and I believe God wants to use Romans to um, encourage us, to strengthen us in the gospel. And, to, um, and my prayer for this is not just what we do here on Sunday mornings together, but we would really take hold of this book and study it in our groups, in our small groups, as individuals and families, and we'll allow the Word of God to, to really transform us and, and use us to, to take this message to the world around us, because God wants to use us in a great way. Well, this morning we're going to conclude our series on the trail to the cross. Almost four weeks ago, Bill began with uh, the foot washing of Jesus, and each step of the way, we've watched Jesus interact with his disciples and prepare for this moment. Almost three years ago, uh, at a family reunion, I had an uncle who announced to our family that he was diagnosed with cancer, and he died last month. I remember a few years ago in Minnesota, I had a dear friend and an elder in our church. He was out enjoying the lake one summer day and jumped in the lake and um, by a boat lift and got shocked and died instantly. And for us more personally here at Rimrock, you guys saw Pastor Steve diagnosed with cancer and walk that journey with you guys here and so we've all experienced death. We've experienced that shock and that reality, and we've seen it with friends and people we love. And, and the reality of 
death is that one day each one of us will face it. And so the question this morning as we look um, at Jesus and the, the question the Bible looks at is what do, we, what do we do with death because it's the biggest human dilemma that we have. Our life comes to an end. Well, I think the Bible has a very clear message on death. It says it's an enemy. It's not what we were meant for. God created us to live forever, and we long for that. It doesn't, it's not right when we experience death or we see death. The Bible says it's unnatural and it's evil. And so how can we have hope in the face of this reality? I love that Jesus came and became one of us. He became a man. As God, he set aside his full divinity, his, his full um, benefits of divinity, and he took on man, human nature. And he experienced it all, including death. I love that Jesus doesn't dance around this reality. Rather, he takes it on head on. He experienced suffering he experienced death. And we've been looking at this trail leading to death. And, and, and if you think about it, the disciples were in the prime of their lives. They were in their 20s. Jesus was in his early 30s. And they were turning the whole world upside down. Jesus was upending the Jewish religious system. He was healing people. He was doing things that no one had ever done. And there was this huge following in fact, this morning is Palm Sunday, and as Jesus was going to that grand city on a hill of Jerusalem, the people, in anticipation, began to celebrate. And palm branches came out, and, and clothes were laid on the, the, the road, and Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as the king. And so all this anticipation was building for Jesus as a king, and the people were celebrating, anticipating but Jesus had been telling his disciples that something was coming up, that it was going to be hard, and that he was ultimately going to die. And so this cloud hangs over the disciples, and this morning we're going to see the hour that has come. And so if you would stand, we're going to read in John chapter 19 this morning, starting in verse 17. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had, notice, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarments remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled, as it said, they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. 
So this is what the soldiers did. And near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, who I believe is John, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From this time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows what he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. You may be seated. So the unexpected event of Jesus' crucifixion. It was unexpected to the disciples and the Jews and the people around him, but I don't think it was unexpected to Jesus. I wanna make a few observations out of this account of the cross, and we look, and if you look with me in verse uh, 19 through 22, a sign is prepared that is put above Jesus' head. Now. Last week we heard from uh, Nick and there was this conflict between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate representing the kingdoms of this world and, and Jesus, the king of God's kingdom. And as they came together and we, we looked at that clash of kingdoms. And I see here Pilate probably is sarcastic in writing this, but I think God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and here Jesus is the king of kings yet isn't it strange that the king of kings would be crucified you see the cross was reserved for criminals it was reserved for the lowest of the low even a person with money who was a criminal would never be crucified only the lowest of lows who had no rights at all would be crucified and yet Jesus with the sign above him proclaiming the king is crucified and remember jesus is the word of god we saw as we began the january that jesus the word of god created the world he spoke this world into being and then jesus walked this earth as god he spoke healing if you remember the official son and he said to the him your son will live and he told the paralytic rise stand walk he spoke and it happened he told Pilate that at word he could summon the armies of heaven to come to his aid. Yet, here he is crucified on a cross. He is the Lord. He is the great I am. Yet, he is on a cross. 
So what is going on? What is happening here? Go with me and look at verse 25 through 27, and we begin to discover the heart of Jesus on the cross. Here is Jesus on the cross, and nearby is his mother, Mary, and some of her friends, and John. Now, Jesus at this moment on the cross in his agony is doing something extraordinary. As the oldest son, he was responsible to care for his mother. And what do we see? We see love and concern for her. He takes care of her. He provides for her. I think this is a tender moment that reveals the heart of God. Romans 8 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You you see on the cross, we see Jesus as king, but on the cross, we also see Jesus demonstrating his perfect love, his perfect love. You see, the kingdoms of this world are all about greed and power and control. But here we're introduced to a very different kind of king. A king who cares and loves about his mother. A king who cares and loves about us. He loves. And the cross, a symbol of horror and torture, he redeems and makes into a symbol of love. You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus goes to the cross. He faces death. But instead of a whore of an enemy, he is transforming it. He's turning it into something different, completely different. He is showing us true love. You see, this world defines love as a good feeling, right? It says if you feel good, then it must be love. But Jesus tells us a totally different definition of love. He says true love is a friend who lays down his life for someone else. You see, Jesus chose the cross. Jesus, his work is the cross, and he is there to provide for us. If you go on in this chapter, we see that scripture is quoted. The Old Testament is quoted. In verses 23 and 24, we're told about the soldiers dividing up the garments. This is a fulfillment of Psalm 22. This was written many times many years ago you see Jesus had work that God had called him to do when Jesus came he had a confrontation with the religious leaders the religious leaders were mad at Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath instead of resting he was working and they said what's wrong with you why are you healing people on this day and Jesus said something very profound he says I am always working because my father is always working You see, the story of the Bible is a story of God's work. It starts from the very beginning when God creates this world through his word. He speaks it into being. And then we see that the curse of sin comes and instead of God throwing up his hands and saying, let them go their own way, he intervenes and he promises all the way back in Genesis 3 that he would provide a savior. And Jesus is that savior but we see that work happening throughout the bible all the way from the people of israel being redeemed out of slavery and story after story of brokenness and god intervening and working to bring about redemption to bring about change and so this story of god at work is finding its fulfillment at this moment on the cross his garments would be divided and then we're told that he would thirst in Psalm 69. And here we see Jesus thirsting and be giving, given vinegar. And then in Psalm 22, we're told that his bones would not be broken. 
And then in, Psalm, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, we're told why Jesus went to the cross. He said, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all do you see what the prophet saw as he was receiving from the Holy Spirit this vision of what God was doing what God's work was all about he had an image of a Messiah a Savior who had come who would not come to live for himself, but would come to bear the penalty of sin and death. You see, the work of God could accomplish what we never could on our own. You see, the deception of religion is that somehow we can work up or earn God's favor. Somehow we can make a way. Somehow we can solve the problems. But you see, death is a big enough enemy that we can't solve it. It reminds us that we are weak, we are unable, and we are unable to pay for our sin, we are unable to reverse the course of our selfishness, of our hatreds, of our violence, we are unable. And so what does God do? He provides, (laughs) he works, he does something that we cannot do on our own, he comes and he goes to the cross. You see, the cross is the work of God. The cross satisfies this condition that we are in. And it says in Isaiah that it's through his wounds that we are healed. The last thing we see here in this passage is we see that Jesus finishes God's work of redemption. Jesus came as king. He demonstrates God's love. He fulfills God's plan. But then he finishes the work of of redemption he finishes the work of redemption look with me with in verse 30 here is Jesus on the cross unselfish loving his mother loving the world he and another place says that he says father forgive them for they do not know what they do but then we come to verse 30 and when he had received the drink Jesus said it is finished what's going on there In Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the lights of life and be satisfied. See, there's the hope. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And therefore I will give him a portion among the greats, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. So what is finished? What does Jesus accomplish? He puts an end to the curse. (laughs) He puts an end to death. The enemy, the great enemy is put to death at this moment because of only Jesus could fully satisfy that debt. Only Jesus could make a way. And so only Jesus 
could make a way to put an end to the curse. And that's what we see here as Jesus cries out, it is finished. And this is why the cross is the culmination of all of human history. It is the pinnacle, past, present, and future. It is the crux of all things. The word crux comes from the word cross. There's a reason we organize our entire calendar around this event, because Jesus changed human history. The weight of death was upon him. The weight of sin was upon him. And he did this for a reason. He wanted to bring life. (laughs) He wanted to bring life because we were meant to live. We weren't made to die. And that's why he will see the light of life and he will be satisfied, Isaiah says. And because he lives, we too shall live. You see, the prophet foretold that God would accomplish something that we could never do on our own. That God would bring light and life into this world. Paul says that death has lost its sting. You see, the cross, instead of being a defeat, was a victory. (laughs) It was a victory. It was a new beginning. The old is gone, the new has come. It is finished. In Revelation, we are given this incredible image where it says God takes death and he throws it into the pit of hell and locks it up forever. (laughs) No more death, no more pain, no more crying. You see what Jesus accomplished on the cross? Do you see what he is doing? He is putting an end to the curse. And this is why the message that has been taken ever since the moment of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, the message has been very simple. Jesus is king, he is Lord, and he was crucified, and he is risen again. Amen? Amen. And because he lives, we too will live. This is the good news. This is what changes everything. Look at me at verse 37. John ends this account of Jesus' crucifixion by saying, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the most important thing for us to grapple with this morning. As we look at Jesus on the cross, we must realize that we pierced Jesus. Isn't it easy to blame others and you read history and people have blamed the Jews, people have blamed the Romans, People have blamed all kinds of things, but Jesus chose the cross, but we pierced him. We pierced him. It was our shame, it was our guilt, it was our sin, it was our death that he took upon his shoulders. And so as we look at Jesus, either two things will happen. Only one of two things will happen. Either some will look at Jesus crucified and they will look away. Their own guilt and shame will lead them to fear and away from God. And we're given a lot of examples in the Bible, the religious leaders. In their self-righteousness and their pride, they looked at Jesus crucified and they mocked him. (laughs) To them, it was foolishness. The crowd, they were interested in Jesus when he was alive, what he could do for them. But there was no commitment. There was no trust. There was no love. Judas gave in to despair. Pilate, his allegiance was to this world. 
He washed his hands of Jesus. So we will look on the one we have pierced and some will look away. But here's the good news this morning. Others will look on Jesus crucified and they will see the king. And they will see the heart of the king as one of love. And they will see that he didn't come to condemn them or judge them or destroy them, but he came to save them. That it was love for you and for me that led him there. And our own guilt leads us to repentance. And it leads us to gratitude and love. And it leads us to say, I don't want any other king. I want Jesus to be my king because he loves and he's good. And he's able to save. And he's a resurrected king. He defeated death. And so this morning as we look at Jesus crucified, what will you do? Will you look away or will you look at Jesus? It's the dividing line, but the story doesn't end there. (laughs) It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the story. (laughs) And the life that Jesus has for you is indescribable. As the musicians come up, I want to read out of Psalm 22. This is the psalm Jesus quoted on the cross several times. And I want you to hang with me and listen to these words. They're powerful this morning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me for trouble is near and there's no one to help me. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey. Opening their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned into wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet and all my bones are displayed. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garments. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor, they will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him and may your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations, they will bow before him. He is the king for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations and all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust 
will kneel before him. And those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve them. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. It is finished.